travel, it's one of life's greatest pleasures. When we journey abroad, we discover new places and meet fascinating people, but we also gain perspective and take on a wider view of the world around us. That was Trevor Ranges, and I'm Scott Coates. After more than 25 years living and working in Asia, we've developed an amazing network of interesting characters throughout the region. Talk Travel Asia is our way of sharing them with you. Plug in and get connected to hot tips, interesting perspectives, and expert travel advice as we cultivate travel insight through intelligent conversation. Welcome to Talk Travel Asia, episode 34. This one is ecotourism in Laos. Laos is a sleepy country of about 7 million, which many people have heard about, but know little beyond the name and perhaps a key destination or two. Some tourists are familiar with the charming riverside town of Luang Prabang in the country's northwest, and maybe the capital, Vientiane, but little else beyond those. Uh, it shares borders with Thailand, China, Vietnam, and Cambodia, is a landlocked nation, and is run by a Marxist communist government, and has a ton going for it for travelers. Many say it's like Thailand was about 30 years ago. It's very quiet and truly off the beaten path. Today we're going to dig into this fascinating country that's for the most part off travelers' radar with Paul Eshu, who heads up a tiger conservation project in Laos. Uh, I am in Bangkok with my trusty co-host Trevor. How are you doing, Trevor? Good. How are you doing today, Scott? Good. It's super cool to be recording together rather than via Skype from somewhere. Much more convenient. Yeah. So tell me what your impressions of Laos are. Um, you know, I'd spent quite a bit of time in Laos ever since I moved here to Thailand about 15 years ago. Um, I was asked to write about Luang Prabang, Vientiane, and Vang Vieng for Fodor's Thailand and Laos Travel Guidebook. Right. And uh, I, I enjoyed Luang Prabang kind of like Bali was for me, kind of a getaway place for me to catch up on my writing and enjoy some downtime in between projects, just because it is such a, a chilled out, laid back place. Right. Um, I fell in love with Laos uh, because of its natural beauty and because the people are just so wonderfully nice. Um, and I, I kind of, I guess it reminded me of Vermont in many ways that it's, you know, mostly dirt roads, mostly beautiful countryside with not a lot of development and just really genuine people. Yeah. And you know what, uh, before my impressions, is it Lao or Laos? You hear it both ways, right? Well, it's the, the People's Democratic Republic of Lao. Right. Yeah. yeah. But then, yeah, it's spelled Laos and then it's Laotian people, but they're Lao people. It's Lao right. food. Yeah. Right. So it's a bit ambiguous. So we'll go with Lao and Laos yeah. for this episode. Yeah. Well, I first went to Luang Prabang in Vientiane back in 2000, did the typical tourist trail. It was really quiet, sleepy, charming. Then I went back, I think in 2012 or thereabouts to update a guidebook. And I've only been to Luang Prabang and Vientiane, but they're both, I mean, really nice places, super tasty food. But I, I, I mean, I just want to have the time to go somewhere else because it seems like that's the kind of place where you drive a couple kilometers outside of the major city and you're truly out in the countryside all, all of a sudden. And uh, yeah, I sure wish I, I had more time to go there. Yeah, you know, because like Laos is probably like the same size as Thailand roughly. You know, it looks similar on, on a map. Size wise, right? yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, when you leave Bangkok and you go into the Thai countryside and it's very different, right? Yeah. So yeah. like... Vientiane and, and Luang Prabang are kind of the quote-unquote cities of, of, of Laos, so you go into the countryside of Laos and it's even less developed than the, the Thai counterparts would be, you know, kind of like the land where time stood still. Yeah. Um, I recently was in the south. I went to Champasek right. uh, to see the Wat Pu Temple. Yeah. And Wat Pu is one of the oldest, if not the oldest, uh, center of, of Khmer, Cambodian civilization. 
Um, and, and it's just spectacularly beautiful. It's right along the Mekong River. Cool. Uh, we, you and I talked about uh, the, the 4,000 Islands area, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is just south of there. Yeah. Um, it's just beautiful. And, and the temple itself, Wat Pu, is stunning. But even the archaeologists who, who early discovery of, of the site talk as much about how beautiful the area was that the, the Khmer's built the temple in more so than even the temple itself. Right, right. Well, before we go any further, let's quickly thank our sponsor, who are Heritage Suites. They are a hotel in Siem Reap, Cambodia, one of my favorite uh, hotels in the area. It's kind of like a bit of colonial feel, but more with modern touches. It's it's the right size, not too small, not too big. It's, it's a fantastic place. Yeah, it does kind of have that old world charm. Um, yeah. And it's kind of in a neighborhood that that's still somewhat residential. Uh, so it, it has a really local feeling around it rather than being in the center of town that's a little phony and touristy. Right, right. Yeah. Right. Um, so like riding a bike around that area um, to see some of the, the temples, I think, is really charming. It's a nice place to stay. Yeah, it's sweet. So thank you to Heritage Suites for sponsoring. Well, let's bring on our guest. He is Paul Eshu. He has a long and storied history in ecotourism. He originally came to Asia with the Peace Corps, where he was based in Nepal as a National Parks volunteer, stationed in Langtang National Park and Koshi Tapu Wildlife Conservation Area. He later moved to Laos and developed community-based ecotourism with various agencies, including UNESCO, W. WF, WCS, the EUGTZ, the Asian Development Bank, and SNB, as well as projects in Cambodia and Vietnam. In 2009, he became the site coordinator for the Nam Et Pu Loi National Protected Area Management and Tiger Conservation Project in northeastern Laos. Paul joins us via Skype from California. Thanks for joining us, Paul. Hey, Paul. How you doing? Uh, where are you originally from, and uh, why did you join the Peace Corps and start a life here in Asia? I'm originally from the San Francisco Bay Area, from a small town called Menlo Park. Yeah. Yeah. I think actually people know about that now, huh? I've been there. You've been there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess living in the suburbs in the United States made me really interested in the big world out there and also in living um, in rural areas. And uh, I was really interested in environmental issues and uh, studied natural resource economics at at uh, in university at, at Berkeley. And uh, I just thought, you know, really, uh, after studying that for four years, that I really didn't know anything for real. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I had only studied things, you know, um, through books. And so I thought it'd be a good experience to go, you know, live abroad. And so I joined the Peace Corps. And uh, I was probably won over by their, uh, their marketing uh, when I was a little <laughs> kid, you know, watching, watching the commercials. While I was watching cartoons right. or something like that. So did they send you to Asia? They did send me to Asia, and it was um, so I went. To, I, they sent me to Nepal, and um, it was uh, a lot of people really want to go to Nepal, but um, I, I actually didn't ask for Nepal, and I really didn't know anything about Nepal, so um, so it was a pleasant surprise, and um, I guess that's that's sort of how I got hooked. I really had no plan to work in Asia. I had no plans to. It, I had no plans to work there and I really, I never thought that I would, I had no plans to live outside the United States. I just went into the Peace Corps for two years, but after being there for two years, I came back for a year and I did some teaching and stuff. And, uh, and then I just had an opportunity to go and work in Laos. So what led you originally to even become interested in wildlife and ecotourism? Like this has become your life, but what sort of led you there? Like a lot of people became really curious uh, about the world and, 
the use of resources. Mm -hmm. so I was yeah. interested in all kinds of issues, but um, but after working, I worked in uh, two different national parks in Nepal, mm -hmm. and that's where I started yeah. to learn about issues related right. to wildlife, to conservation, uh, people living around the park, and the issues for them also. The park that I worked in in uh, Nepal, uh, Longtong National Park, uh, had a lot of tourism, and I started working with uh, with one organization there called the Mountain Institute which was helping mm -hmm. uh, some people, uh, some of the people who had guest houses and stuff to help them manage tourism better. And I, I worked with a women's group to help them uh, create a, a, a museum of some of their, like some of their old artifacts, you know, for, for tourists. And so I just started to get some experience in that, but it wasn't completely by design. So, um, but it seems to make sense. I mean, you go to Berkeley, you get this good education, you join the Peace Corps, they send you to Nepal, you start learning more about practical, natural, you know, attractions, management, and then you get involved in tourism. How does that end up uh, bringing you to Laos and, and becoming a bit of an expert there? A lot of Peace Corps volunteers, when they finish their when they finish their service, they go travel a little bit. So I traveled, naturally, I traveled in Southeast Asia because when, you, when you're going on, on the way back to the... To, um, on your way back to the United States, you fly from Nepal to Bangkok. Right. And then, so naturally, you, you, the cheapest and best places nearby you know, are all in Southeast Asia there. So that's why I traveled there. Mm. The reason why I went to Laos actually was two of my friends who were in the Peace Corps, who were Peace Corps volunteers, were Lao Americans. And they had been, they were born in Laos. And um, I knew nothing about Laos. Like most Americans, I knew about Vietnam. I knew about Thailand. I knew a little bit about Cambodia because I'd seen the killing fields, uh, but I knew nothing about Laos. So these two friends of mine who were Lao Americans, they told me about Laos and they told me that I should go check it out. And they said that I would like it because it's a very relaxed, easygoing kind of place. Okay. But anyhow, so, um, so yeah, I traveled to Laos and I liked it. I really did like it. I traveled to Viet I traveled to Cambodia, which at that time was, uh, you know, people still were, had, were carrying guns. And um, Angkor Wat was was pretty new, and uh, it wasn't it wasn't crowded. It was it was, um, but it was a dusty, you know, not easy place to travel. Mm -hmm. I traveled through Vietnam into the south into Saigon, and then all the way up to the north. But you know, Vietnam is a beautiful place. But people, you know, by the time when you're there as a backpacker for three weeks, by the time you get to the north, you feel like you've been hassled a lot. Real quickly, what year what year was this again that you first? Oh, sorry, that was 1999. Okay, and then I uh, took a flight over from Hanoi to Vientiane. It's called some people call it Vientiane. That's how it's spelled in, in English, but it's uh, Vientiane. It was amazing because it was just it was so relaxed, you know, and nobody. Nobody tried to sell anything to me. Yeah, it was pretty sleepy then. Yeah, it was very sleepy. And the, the only thing that people really did was they just wanted to hang out. Yeah. So I remember going to, uh, there was a sauna called uh, Wat Sok Baluang and um, in, in the center of Yangchan that, one of, that my Lao American friend uh, John had told me about. I just remember going there and people were really friendly and then, you know, I, I made friends and then we went out and it was sort of like that the whole time, just meeting people and going out. And, uh, and having a good time. Cool, cool. So you've been, I've been working there for quite some time now. Can you give uh, our listeners maybe just a kind of brief overview of sort of what the ecotourism scene is in Laos? Yeah, so the ecotourism scene in Laos is not, it's not heavy wildlife watching, you know, it's not, it's not Africa, but there's a lot of trekking in the north. There are, there's a lot of like rafting, kayaking in uh, places like Vang Vieng, also in the south. 
um, around the 4,000 islands. Now there's a big, bigger, more kind of like creative things being done uh, with zip lines. So there's the Gibbon Experience mm. in Bokeo Province, which you might have heard of. It was the first uh, zip lining experience done there. It's, it's awesome. And also now there's, there's one down in the south. It's done by Green Discovery, which is really awesome. Um, I just took some people, some officials on a study tour there. So you're ziplining across uh, some really huge waterfalls all day. That would be quite an experience because usually you do it in the trees, like the canopy. Well, you're, you're going you tree to tree. Yeah, you are. Sure. It's, you're going yeah, tree yeah. to tree, but you're going across these waterfalls. Yeah, it is. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty impressive. But I, I know you mentioned, you mentioned that like, you know, it's not Africa. There's not like the overwhelming amount of wildlife, but like we mentioned in the intro, like, you know, Laos is still a, a quite undeveloped country and there's still lots of like natural areas um now i understand that that you, you you're working with the tiger conservation area um and that's like one of the the top tiger ecosystems maybe in the in the region can you tell us a little bit more about that project yeah to back up i mean there is there is a lot of wildlife in laos it's just that because there's just there's not a lot of really strong protection of it it's quite difficult mm -hmm. to see as a tourist right and so that's what we're, we're trying to trying to set up in um, Nam Et Pului National Protected Area. That's actually two parks. Um, Nam Et is one park and the other park is Pului and now they're managed as one. And it's, it's said to be the last place that has a breeding population of tigers in Indochina. And mm -hmm. um, this is WCS, Wildlife Conservation Society, went there and uh, helped started helping the government do surveys in the in early 2000s, uh, 2003. And um, that's when we got evidence that there was actually, you know, a few tigers there. Now, La Laos is, I mean, traditionally Laos had tigers all over the country. And I think um, uh, a lot of people know that and are, you know, they're definitely fearful of tigers. And uh, so protecting tigers is something new in the country. Um, but unfortunately, because of all the threats in the area and, and, and the demand for them in the region, it's quite difficult to protect them. I mean, now, um, say, having said that, it's, it's the last breeding population of tigers in Indochina. Indochina meaning Laos, Cambodia, and Vietnam. This is a project, I mean, you're really intimately involved with, and the website's great, and we'll put that link on the show notes for people. But in a, in a nutshell, what, what can a, a tourist expect from a visit if they make the trek up there? Uh, you can see uh, different deer species, which are actually quite difficult to see normally, like sandbar deer, uh, barking deer. There are two, I think, two different species of barking deer there. A different species of civets, uh, porcupines. People have also seen cats, like the Asian golden cat. Uh, I've seen bears. So uh, there are uh, some bears and black bears. Uh, we've seen them alongside, on, along the river. Python, if you're lucky, during the daytime. Um, uh, what else? I, I feel like I'm missing. Uh, uh, Loris, you know, those uh, hmm. kind of cute, cuddly uh, creatures that have big eyes. What part of the country is this conservation project? Is this way, way up in the north? or? Yeah, this is in the northeast. So this protected area, um, it's it's Laos's largest protected area. And it's just northeast. It's it's east of Lumpurbang. It's actually, the park is actually partly in Lumpurbang province, but Lumpurbang town, where most tourists go, it's, it's east of that. And it's just north of Sengkwang and the Plain of Jars. How long would it take you to get yeah, there from Lumpurbang? That's, kind of, that's kind of remote, huh? Uh, from Lumpurbang, if, 
from the plane of jars, it's about to to the tour from the plane of jars, it's about three hours, three or four hours. So it's it's a challenge, but I think that um, you know we're getting more and more people going up there, and it's the natural overland route to Vietnam. And as the roads get much better, uh, it's you know it's it's a cool way to go. So you can, you can do our tour mm-hmm. if you're in the plane if you're at the plane of jars. You could do our tour the same day and, you know, go be, be out in the forest at night. Uh, from Nong Kiao, I don't know if you've heard of Nong Kiao. That's in Lumpurbang province. That's also at the doorstep of the park. So that's about four or five hours away. Okay, so we're going to need to put together a map for our listeners so they have yeah. an idea of cool. some of the areas we're talking about. There's On our website, you can see there's a, on a couple of the pages of how to get there, I think there's a, there's a Google map that has the, has the route mapped out. Now, I know that you guys uh, have won quite a few awards, and one of the big things you're doing there is a, is a night safari, but also you're what building some cool pod tents. Tell us a bit about Yeah, so things. the night safari is the first one that we uh, started, the first kind of pilot tour that we started uh, back in 2010, and uh, it won the World Responsible Tourism Award uh, in London in 2013 for best responsible wildlife experience. Mm-hmm. The reason why it won was for the model that we set up. So the model rewards the villages that surround the tour area every time tourists see any of those species of wildlife that I mentioned. So it gives mm-hmm. people, it mm-hmm. gives the local people who are hunters, um, who hunt for consumption, but also to sell wildlife. It gives them like a really clear financial incentive and also sort of a communal, it develops some communal pressure on, on within a village to, to, to want to reduce hunting. So, um, which is one of the, one of the problems with ecotourism and, um, and other projects that I've worked on is simply just setting up a homestay or, or just, just trying to get income to people. It's nice, but, but if it's not really directly related to, to some like improvement in, you know, uh, population of, of wildlife or forests or something, then, Sometimes it's difficult for villagers to see the the connection. So that's so it won the it won the award in 2013, and then 2014 we won the People's Choice Award. So um, all of the winners from in 2013 were put into a group, and then the 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 most popular project won. Yeah, so, and and it's sustainable for them, right? Because like now you know tourists are coming there; they're they're ho- helping the local economy, but they're also encouraging the people to maintain their, their natural resources in, in the forests and the wildlife in order to, to continue to make that income. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's, that's what we're trying to, um, trying to do. One, one last thing on the thing in Namet Pule is, um, yeah, we are developing, we're going to be opening up two new, uh, two new areas. Um, so one is a, a climb to the top of uh, Pule, which is, uh, Pu means mountain and Lui means forever, so it's forever mountain. And uh, it's for Lao, it's a relatively high peak. It's about 2,250 or 60 meters high. But what's amazing about it is on the top of the mountain is, uh, is a cloud forest, which has a whole different uh, community of, of plant life. And the other thing that we're opening up is uh, there's a salt lick. So at salt licks, uh, wildlife come at night, comes at night to, to, to lick the minerals. Uh, out of the off the it's sort of like mud a muddy area Hmm. and so we're setting up a a viewing tower there so you can actually you know spot wildlife at night from uh, at the salt lick and so this is one of the i think it's the first one that's been done in Laos, 
it's been done in other places, uh, but we're creating these uh, tents, which are, they're not really tents. They're, like you said, they're, they're more like pods and they hang from trees. Mm -hmm. And the, 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 the design is, we're trying to do something unique and, and also base it on local culture. So the design is it's a basket. We're doing this with like an ethnically Camus village and they're, mm -hmm. they're very well known for their basketry. Um, so what you're sleeping in is actually a basket hanging from, from a tree. Right. And, uh, and it's got sort of a rounded top. So it's, it's kind of like a pod. So um, um, we're going to call it the nest. So you're, you're sort of in your own little nest. And uh, so it should be interesting. That's great. So what about in the South? I, I saw that uh, there, there was a couple other projects, maybe like in the South, more around like the Wapu area. People are heading to, to that part of like 4,000 islands down there. What type of experiences can they enjoy in that part of the country? So in the South, I mean, there's a lot to do in the South. The South is great. It's quite different than the North. And I really recommend that people go there. I think a lot of, a lot of people pretty much, you know, um, uh, go to Lumpurbang and they go to Vientiane and then, and then that's about it. But um, right, right. I think the South, the South is amazing. Down in the South, you have the 4,000 islands. Mm -hmm. And so most tourists go to about two or three of the 4,000 islands. There's, there's a beautiful island that's, that's right across from Wapu. So mm -hmm. Wapu is, uh, it's actually the first of a string of, they say about 13 or 14 temples, Khmer temples that were built um, with Angkor Wat, I think being sort of the last like complex of temples. So this mm -hmm. is a temple that predates Angkor Wat. It's quite, it's, it's, it's small. It's, it's Lao, you know, it's cute. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's beautiful. It's not, it's right. not, uh, you know, it's not the, it's not, it's not huge, but it's, it's really beautiful. And, um, <laughs> and the backdrop is, is, uh, is this beautiful mountain. So it's, it's, uh, it's built up actually in, in a mountain, which is a bit different than, than Angkor Wat. And it overlooks the Mekong, which is amazing. And, and across from that, which is actually in the UNESCO World Heritage site, is a is a is an island called Don Dang, right? And visitors have two options, two or three options actually to stay on that island. It's definitely Don Dang, not to be confused with Don Det. Don Det is where all the tourists go. Um, Don Dang, which means Red Island, it must be. I must say, and I hate to say this, but it's probably my favorite place in Laos. Wow, wow. it's not a terribly poor village, but it also doesn't have cars. And it's, um, it's quiet, you know, um, but it ha everyone, they have what they need there. So in the center of the island, it's about an eight kilometer long island. It's not a tiny island, but in the center are, is uh, are rice fields. And then they have a, there's a ring road around the island, which is more like a path. And, um, and there are eight, eight villages and you can walk around the island. There's, there are actually some Khmer uh, temple ruins on the island. And this, this, the sand is just amazing. This, the, the, um, the beach is just beautiful. And you have the sunset and the sunrise, you know, around the Mekong. And you're looking at the mountain where this Wapu is located. Um, so it's really beautiful. And you can stay, you can stay in a really, really uh, luxury resort, which hires yeah. kind of like, I think they hire almost all of the, all of the employees except for the managers, you know, which number about four, yeah. are, are locals from the island. 
and okay. um, which is a, it's a great model for you know work. I mean, the, the village earns a lot of villagers earn a lot of income from from this. Okay, and it sounds like I mean there's heaps and heaps of options around this country. Like kind of wrapping up here, I mean, what do you kind of quickly think the the future of ecotourism looks like in Laos? Um, well, I hope that it continues to you know get you know, better and better and more sophisticated. It's, it's pretty new. And I think that, uh, I think that there are a lot more, there's a lot more investment and really kind of cool things like the zip lining that I mentioned and the, the resort on Dondang and things like that. And also, you know, the new places that we're developing up in the Northeast. So, so, you know, we need them, we need more protection of wildlife. Um, but that's, that's coming along also. All right. Well, Thanks so much for uh, sharing some of your expertise and, and time. I know we're trying to cover an entire country here and, and whatnot, but uh, we'll put links uh, to a map to the areas that you mentioned here and uh, some photos and sort of the projects that you're working on, Paul. But thanks so much for joining us uh, from California and hope we can meet in person over here someday. Okay. All right. Thanks. Yeah, Paul, are you, are you headed back here? I mean, uh, have you moved back to California or are you just taking a break going home and you're coming back to Laos? Yeah, I'm just taking a break. I'm just taking a break. It just happened to be uh, a friend of mine is getting married in about a week. So um, I just came back to see my family first and then I'm going to go to the wedding and then I'll be back. And then are you based up in Long Prabang? Or? No, actually now I'm based in Myanmar. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And okay. um, yeah. So I work on a uh, project with WCS there uh, to protect the Irrawaddy dolphin, which is found also in Laos and Cambodia uh, in the Mekong. But the species is also found in, uh, obviously, the Irrawaddy River. Um, and quite interesting stuff there, too. Um, Sounds like we'll have to have you back to talk uh, dolphins. really like to talk about that. That, that one is very, very interesting because the, the dolphins and, and fishermen actually fish together, which is called cooperative fishing, which is cool. maybe one of the cool. only places in the world you can see that. Yeah. Well, thanks again, Paul. Really appreciate your time. Wow, that, uh, you know, Lao is such a sleepy, quiet place, and uh, he's inspired me to go a bit more. I mean, the northern project there with the, the cloud forest mountain and the pod tents are coming up with, I mean, if you could get yourself there, it sounds pretty cool. Yeah, you know, just getting to Long Prabang is a bit of a mission, and then yeah. Long Prabang is so charming, and there's a bunch of things to do that I think that, you know, you'd need at least two or three weeks to really do Long Prabang and go up there to the north and, and really enjoy some of that nature up there. Because um, I, I think people don't realize how quite remote it actually is. Yeah, and you know, one thing we've talked about on some of these episodes is just the time involved getting from point A to B. So like, yeah, in theory, like the drive's three hours, but you know, you get out of your hotel, you get in the car, you have lunch on the way. Like you're probably looking at most of your day just getting to that place. Well, you said it's three hours from the plane to Jars, which yeah. is five or six hours is from really Bomb. Yeah. yeah, so yeah. I mean, it's several days, I think. And then you get out there, you're going to want to spend several days. But yeah, the, the cloud forest, yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah, and I know that the, we'll put the link on the show notes. The website they have for that park and what they're doing is really good. They've got some really good videos there. They've got some good photos. They tell the story really well, and these pod tents that he's talking about, uh, we'll get a photo of those up too. Those look really cool. So it sounds like, I mean, hey, you've probably got to have a couple weeks for your Lao-only trip to make the effort to get there, but if you really want to get out into the outdoors and, and see some wildlife and, and meet local people and get some hiking. And it's, it's probably a pretty solid option. Yeah. And then he was talking about the zip lines over the waterfalls. Like yeah, that, yeah. And, and that, that sounds spectacular because again, in Champasek, like 
in the 4,000 Islands. Like, neither of us have been to the 4,000 Islands yet. And that was in mm. one of our episodes where we talked about yeah. dream travel destinations. Yeah. Uh, Champasek was beautiful. And, and we and that last trip that we made, we didn't make it to uh, Dondang, the island he was saying is his favorite place in Laos. Yeah, like, yeah. little did I know, like, this expert in Laos, his most favorite place was right across the river from us. Yeah. Um, but that's fine. I, I, I could use a reason to go back because uh, I love Laos. Yeah, and you know, I'm for me, ecotourism is so many different things. It doesn't necessarily, to me, just saving animals, but it means employing locals. And I liked how he touched on, he goes, yeah, there's a really nice resort there. And actually pretty much everyone on the island works at the resort and in tourism. So in one sense, that's we, we, we've talked about preserving these animals and incentivizing locals for every time they're spotted. But we've also hit the other end of ecotourism on just this sleepy area serving as employment for all the locals too. So, I mean, that area is a little tough to get to. You have Wat Pu, go a couple hours south, you've got 4,000 islands. It's neat that there's also Don Dang. So a whole trip kind of shapes up right in the south there. Yeah, and uh, again, for people who are like, you know, everybody has heard of Angkor Wat. So many people are interested in going to Vietnam. Um, every, you know, lots of people fly into to Thailand. So Laos isn't on as many people's radar, like you mentioned in the yeah. introduction. But they really are some of the, the, the nicest people you're ever going to meet in, in your life, I think. And, and it's such a charming country and culture that uh, I think it's definitely worthwhile for people to go and visit and check out some of these attractions. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting closer to maybe pulling the trigger on the south and the 4,000 islands. So we obviously tried to cover an awful lot of territory with that interview, but it was nice of Paul to, to shed some light on the stuff. We'll have uh, links to what we talked about as well as a link to a Google map with all the places on the show notes, so do check that out. And uh, two weeks from now, we'll have another episode. So thanks very much for joining us. This is Scott Coates signing off. This is Trevor Ranges uh, here in Bangkok, Thailand with Scott Coates, uh, getting ready for another episode in two weeks. All right. Thanks for joining us on Talk Travel Asia. We look forward to sharing with you again soon. Hey, Scott, do you remember the time we walked on top of the wall at Angkor Thom and Everest?